Typically here at Crossway at uh, the end of the year, as you heard in our adult Sunday school class this morning, we emphasize international missions. Uh, We are taking up, um, as Pastor Richard said at the beginning of the service, we're taking up the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is exclusively for our international missionaries, those missionaries that are a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, 100% of those funds go toward helping our missionary partners around the world. In our community groups, we just finished up a short book on missions together. And this morning, um, we spoke to an international missionary that that, uh, Tracy and I have gotten to know in Shanghai. And next week, we are going to speak with another one of our IMB missionaries uh, that is also working in Southeast Asia. It made sense to us as we are emphasizing our Lottie Moon offering Uh, this month then, to take a few weeks to see what the Bible has to say about missions, to look to God's word to inform our minds on how we should be thinking about missions. Next week, Pastor Doug will bring us another message from John that will focus on missions. This morning, we're going to fast forward past John, and we're going to jump... um, into the book of Acts. So we're going to, to work our way toward Acts 13, but we're going to start a little earlier and set the context, set the setting, and the build-up to that passage. So as we head toward Acts 13, uh, I want to I kind of set the background here. Acts 1, um, we see the disciples encountering Jesus before he ascends into heaven. And it says there, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, This is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. All right, so we see Jesus here setting the stage for this, right? We see at this at the beginning of the books of Acts. He gives instructions to his disciples. And what does he say they are to be? They are to be his witnesses, right? They are to be his witnesses. In a parallel passage in Matthew, he commands his followers to go and to make disciples, teaching them all the things that Christ has commanded and baptizing them into the body of Christ. They are to tell people about Jesus By telling them the good news, the gospel, the Spirit quickens the soul and brings about repentance and faith in Christ, and they receive the forgiveness of sin and eternal life with our Lord. The disciples are to be witnesses. They are to make disciples, and they are to do that in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see this, right? We see this as we progress through the early church. So the book of Acts and Acts 2, we see Peter preaching at Pentecost. He, he preaches a gospel message. He calls for repentance and faith in Christ, and many were added to the church that day. They are preaching and being witnesses and faithfully making disciples. This is good, but where are they doing it? Right? They're doing it in Jerusalem. They're doing it in Jerusalem, and, and it, is, it is centered there, it is close by, and while they are faithfully making disciples and, and living sanctified lives and, and, and being the church, they have not gone out to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and we don't see this for a while. So you get through the first six books, or first six chapters of Acts, 
And they are in Jerusalem making disciples, and the church is growing. But in Acts 7, we come to something different, right? We come to something different, and Stephen stands up, and he preaches a sermon that is harsh. He preaches hard words to uh, Jews that had killed, that had murdered our Lord. Stephen preaches this, and then, and then Acts records the following. It says, now when they heard these things, so when, when the Pharisees heard these things preached by Stephen, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of the execution. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. All right, so, so speaking to the Jews there, Stephen said that they are stiff-necked, that they had uncircumcised hearts. He accused them of betrayal and of murder. He explained that they had not kept the law of Moses as they proclaimed. He was then summarily stoned. He was murdered. He was killed. As a result of this stoning, then, what do we see? Do we see the church shrivel up and die? No, right? We see it scatter. We see the church scatter. As God so often does, our sovereign and good Lord orchestrates things in such a way that his good purposes are not thwarted by sinful mankind, but often they, his purposes are accomplished despite our sinful best efforts uh, to rage against him. Here we see the church scattered, and when they're scattered, the gospel goes with it. The gospel goes forward. This spreading out of the church sets up the stage for true missional growth of the church, right? So the expansion of God's kingdom and the bringing in of the nations is a result of this scattering. We read in Acts 11 that those who were scattered during the persecution, so not the apostles, Right? Not the apostles, but those who were scattered, the Christians who were scattered during the persecution, planted churches. They planted churches in Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And word gets back to the Jewish Christians that this is going on, that God is doing a great work here. So Barnabas goes to Antioch to see what's going on. He sees God doing a good work. He goes and gets Saul, who by now has been converted by God's grace and is following Jesus, and he brings them there. And, and when he gets there... Paul and Barnabas teach the word. They preach the gospel. They exhort the saints toward faithfulness. They mature the church. They are making disciples where they are. And they don't just leave them there in their infancy, but they bring them to maturity. They're not looking to make quick converts. They're adding people to the church, and in that they are making disciples. They are taking Jesus' command to make disciples seriously. They are not there to just merely make converts. They are there to teach them all that Christ has commanded them. All right, that sets the stage for Acts 13. Barnabas and Paul are in Antioch, 
and we get to this passage at the beginning of Acts 13. So, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please turn with me to the first three verses of Acts 13. It says there, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and sufficient word. All right, these three verses is where we want to land this morning. These three verses is what we want to work through today. Here we see a pattern laid out for us. We see a pattern for the New Testament church. We see the way that the early church sought to accomplish the Great Commission, the command that Christ himself had given us. We see a model then for ourselves as we follow his same commission. So there are three simple things that we are to, that I want to directly apply to you and to I to Crossway Christian Church this morning regarding missions. So first of all, we are to pray. All right, first of all, we are to pray. We see in Acts 13 that the local church in Antioch has gathered together to fast, to worship, and to pray. They are seeking direction from the Holy Spirit, and they are doing this in earnest. All right, this, is, this is not a simple prayer before a meal or a quick casual gathering of believers. They have gathered together for the purpose of worshiping God. They are fasting from food for the purpose of seeking God's direction. And they are praying together, looking for uh, what it is God would have them to do. And through this, through this prayer, God moved mightily. I listened to a sermon on this from... 24 years ago, uh, and the preacher was particularly helpful to me as I thought through the application of this text as it relates to missions. Uh, Your prayer life, our prayer life, Crossways prayer life might not seem like it's essential to missions. We are here. We do not experience what our missionaries are experiencing there. Sometimes we don't know everything that they need. It might not seem essential to missions, but It absolutely is. God has directed us to pray for them, the Lord of the harvest. He has ordained that the prayers of the saints are integral to the advance of the gospel. And in this this sermon, John Piper says the following, and I thought this was extremely helpful. He says, It is almost impossible to overstate the historical importance of this moment in Antioch in the history of the world. Before the word from the, Lord, from the Holy Spirit, there seems to have been no organized mission of the church beyond the eastern seacoast of the Mediterranean. Before this, Paul had made no missionary journeys westward to Asia Minor, Greece, or Rome, or Spain. Before this, Paul had not written any of his letters, which were all the result of his missionary travels beginning here. This moment of prayer and fasting resulted in a missions movement that would make Christianity the dominant religion of the Roman Empire within two and a half centuries and would yield 1.3 adherents of the Christian religion today with a Christian witness in virtually every country of the world. And 13 out of 29 books of the New Testament were the result of the ministry that was launched in this moment of prayer and fasting. 
So to think that it was fair to say that God was pleased to make worship and prayer and fasting the launching pad for mission would be, uh, that would change the course of world history. Is there not a lesson there for us? Right? That's a fair question. We are not going to launch Paul and Barnabas from Crossway. Right? That's not going to happen. But I think there is application here for us. What should this mean for us here at Crossway? I think it's clear we are commanded to pray for the gospel to spread to the lost, to spread to those who have not heard. In Colossians 4, Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. He follows this up in a prayer to, the, to those in Thessalonica. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as is happening among you. Right, we should be continually in prayer for our missionaries. So I ask you, is this something you are doing? Is this something you are doing on a regular basis? Is this something you have done in the last six months? And, and I want you to understand, I am preaching to myself as much as I am talking to you. This is something that I think we probably struggle with. We have an example for us here in Acts 13 of the church in Antioch that is earnestly seeking the Lord in prayer calling out to him, asking for his direction, and God works mightily through them. This should be a characteristic of God's people. This is what God's people do. We need to pray for our missionaries. We need to pray for direction as we seek to support missionaries. We need to pray for direction in our own lives, both individually in our homes and corporately here as a church. I think there is a good implication from this passage that we should be praying together, collectively, as a local church. We see this in Acts 13, and we should be seeing this here in 2018 as a local church. All right, so I broke it up into what I call a wide application for us or large-scale application for us, and then some narrow application for us. First, the wide application is we should be praying for our IMB missionaries around the world. I don't know if anyone uses it regularly, but we, uh, every month, hand out uh, a, a pamphlet that gives prayer guidance and direction for the month to pray for specific IMB missionaries and specific needs. That is a helpful guide. Often, it's a daunting thing. We know we have 3,000 missionaries around the world. How do I pray for all of them? Well, that is a way to start, right? That's a way to start. That is those are missionaries that you are already supporting that we need to be praying for. Um, the cooperative program and Lottie Moon Christmas offering dollars go to fund these missionaries, and, and it, is, it is incumbent upon us that we pray for these missionaries. Looking to bring this a little bit closer to home, though, I want to press, press in on a, a narrow application. We have some specific missionaries that we have relationships with. So you will hear Pastor Doug every single Sunday stand up from this pulpit during our pastoral prayer, and he will pray for one of those missionary families. You'll find them in the bulletin every week. The Pegues family 
in Southeast Asia is one example. We have long-standing relationships with Pastor June and Pastor Ramon in the Philippines. Uh, Ernest and Elizabeth Smelting are IMB missionaries in the Middle East and uh, North Africa that visited us last year. Uh, we pray for them, as well as Shaquille Kondoker, uh, who is ministering to uh, Muslims in Hamtramck. Now, these missionary families are people that we have direct relationships with, that we are invested in, that we should be praying for. In addition to that, we talked to uh, one of the families in Shanghai this morning, Matt and Emily Tyler. We will also be adding the Seville family, the other pastor at that church in Shanghai. Uh, we want to be praying as a church for the global church. We want to highlight these families, and you will find them in your bulletin. It's a really easy thing. Just pull that out uh, each week, and, and that is a way to lift them up in prayer. We do it from the pulpit, but we want to do it uh, in our private time as well. These are real men and women that are relying on the real power of the Holy Spirit to sustain them and fuel their ministry. And part of our job as a church is to uphold them in prayer. This is, this is a narrower, more focused application. Uh, in addition to this, I, I want to pause here for a moment. I think we see a helpful rebuke from the scriptures here. The church in Antioch in Acts 13 is gathered together, fasting and praying. This is something that is expected of Christ's church. A priority is placed by these Christians on fasting and praying on seeking God's direction and his will together. They prioritize their personal time. They prioritize their schedule around gathering with local church, with fellow Christians at a local church to seek God in prayer. This is a characteristic of God's people, of Christians. So I think it is good and right for us to look inward and say, do I prioritize gathering together with my local church each Sunday for worship and prayer? This is, this is expected of Christians. It's table stakes for a Christian life. In addition, we have two Wednesdays set aside each month for prayer. And we have been encouraged this week as we have seen uh, much more participation. And I, I urge you to make that a priority as well. We gather together to pray together. This is, a, this is a critical characteristic of the Christians here in the New Testament. And it is no different for that church in Antioch than it is for this church in Bay City. Realize also, it is not simply good for you. It is not simply the right thing to do because God commands it to us, but it is also good for your brothers and sisters. When you gather together, you are able to help fulfill those one another commands that we see all over the New Testament to bear one another's burdens, to love one another, to rebuke one another, to be a church that gathers together and is known by their love for one another. That is part of it. And if you're not uh, participating in that, you're not just robbing yourself of that time, but you're also uh, not able to help strengthen the body at that time. I encourage you to think through this in light of God's word and in light of our responsibility to hold the rope for missionaries as we lift them up in prayer. All right, so the wide application. Pray for all of our IMB missionaries. The narrow application. Pray for our specific missionaries that we know and love and then join together as a church as we pray for them. We see the church in Antioch in Acts 13 praying together. The second thing we see them do is they send. They send. They send missionaries. So it says in verse 3, Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. 
All right, so following this example, we should see ourselves as a sending point or a launching pad and a support system for missionaries that take the gospel to places that, is not, that it is not heard. We should be the type of people that lovingly and joyfully support work in places that we may never even go in our lifetime for the sake of spreading God, God's glory and Christ's name around the world. We, we should not take this lightly. Christ has given us a commission to make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. People groups around the world need to hear the gospel. We are a key part of God's ordained plan. He could have done this any way he wanted to. God could have put message in the sky. He could reveal it to people in dreams. He could have somehow gotten his word uh, to the nations by himself. He doesn't need us, but he chose to use Christians to do this. It is our good and right responsibility to send missionaries for the sake of gospel advance. Paul unpacks this in Romans 10. He says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commands shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will ascend to the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is, will be saved. So the gospel needs to go to people so they will be saved. And then he goes on further to say, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? How, will they, uh, how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. All right, we understand, we know, we are not all called to go. Right? We are not all called to be international missionaries. We are not all called to be, as one author describes missions, we are not all called to intentionally cross boundaries for the purpose of communicating the gospel, to win people to Christ, disciple new believers, plant churches, train biblically qualified leaders, and minister to the whole body of Christ in holistic ways. We are not all called to do that. Right? That we're not all called to be going, but we are all called to be a part of this process. Christ has commanded the church to advance the gospel through the preaching of the word. So we are either to go, to send, or we are in disobedience. As a sending church, following after the Acts 13 model, let's think through then the implications. If we want to be a sending church, a church that sends the gospel around the world, let's think through this both widely and narrowly here at Crossway. We, <clears throat> we send primarily financially through our faithful giving here at Crossway. We've designed our budget so that a portion of every single offering that is ever given here at Crossway goes to support global missions. 
Uh, we give as a church, and you would see this if you, uh, as you look through the budget, 10% of our giving to the cooperative program of the SBC. Uh, a portion of that goes to fund our international missionaries. And like we've mentioned several times this morning, our Lottie Moon offering, 100% of those funds go to support our international missionaries. They directly support these missionaries and church planners around the world. We give joyfully and we give freely because we are a sending church. We want to send the gospel and we partner with other Bible-believing churches to support these missionaries around the world. Your Lottie Moon offering is a huge portion of that, so I encourage you to pray through and, and faithfully consider how you can sacrificially give to that this season. Um, that doesn't stay here. That doesn't go to any part of our church. That goes directly to our international missionaries, and um, we want to be a sending church that supports them. That is a, a wide application of a sending church, a wide application of this text. But looking a bit closer to home, my prayer is that we are a sending church from within our own congregation. We should, as a local church, be all about equipping and uh, disciples and discipling disciple makers with an eye toward multiplication. We're not here. Doug's not here. Richard's not here. I'm not here. We're not here trying to build up a bigger church. We want people to come to faith in Christ here. We want that. But we're not here to build up uh, a a kingdom for ourselves, for Crossway. We are here because we want to get the good news everywhere. And part of that is being a sending church to those who would go ahead of us and preach good news. So I encourage you to pray for this, to look for ways to encourage and support those who are interested in going to the nations. Right? We have a room full of young kids in the back that uh, for years have heard stories about missionaries. Right now they are learning systematically the gospel. They are uh, hearing the truths of Christ poured into their lives. And I'm praying that God uses us to stir up people that are dedicated disciple makers. And part of that could be uh, stirring up international, a desire for international missions among our young people. My prayer is that we see older people from our congregation decide we're going to pick up and we're going to move to a different context where the gospel is not heard. And I want to be a church that supports that, that, that encourages that, a, a culture that encourages not only disciple-making here, but, but encourages people to take the word, take the gospel to people who have not heard. Now, we should not be afraid of losing our members to this, but we should be actively supporting them with our prayer and with our encouragement and with our finances. I'm praying that God opens the door in bigger ways in the years to come for this. Um, sending should not be a drudgery here. It is not a drudgery for this church. In Antioch and Acts 13, it is a joyful sending. Even as we hate to see people go, we love to see God glorified through gospel advance in the world. So our wide application, we send people through our faithful giving uh, already a narrow application. I pray for opportunities to share uh, the gospel from people within our own church. All right, so in this passage, we see that the church prays, we see the church sends, and finally, this is where the rubber meets the, meets the road, the church goes. The church goes. Again, in verses 2 and 3, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they went 
right? They went, they go, they obeyed the, the command of the Lord and they went off to spread the gospel. Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary, uh, has a famous missionary quote that has been used by God over the years to, to inspire many to go and to serve. He says, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. We see Paul and Barnabas here obeying this command. As the church sends them out, they obediently go and take the gospel to those who hadn't heard. When we consider the commands of Christ, we see his last instruction was to make disciples. This is the primary command of the Great Commission. And we go about doing that by baptizing believers and teaching them that all that Christ had commanded. And we do this as we take the word to all peoples, to all people groups, to all nations. This has obvious implications for our church then, right? So let's address the wide application. And this one is obvious. This one is uncomfortable. Praying, we may not be faithful at that, but we know we should be doing it. Sending, we do faithfully give as a church, and we might feel like we're doing okay here, but going. That is where it gets uncomfortable. Are you called to go? Are you called to go? Are you called to serve in this way? While this can't be for everybody in the church, we should recognize that it necessarily is for some in the church. Have you ever considered this? Have you wrestled through this? We don't take this lightly, but we should spend time with our God in prayer wrestling through this decision. What did Jesus call you to when he said, follow me? Did he call you to merely an easy, comfortable life where he will grant all of your desires? Jesus is not a genie. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not there to make our lives necessarily better. Did he call us to coasting through our decisions without wrestling through them, without having them informed by the word, without seeing what he would desire us to do? Are we really so certain of our direction that we should not wrestle through the calling on our lives? All right, so, so go back for a minute. Think back to his calling on your life. There was a time where you did not know him, right? The scriptures say that I, that you, that we came into this world sinners. We came into this world sinful. We were born in sin, and with a sin nature, we gave evidence to that from an early age. We rebelled against the holiness of God. He made all things good, and mankind has turned its back on this benevolent creator. And we now stand separated from him, deserving of his wrath. He has created us. He has loved us. and We have rejected him with our sin. There is not one person that is good enough, that does right all of the time, that is good enough to exist outside this sobering reality, that all have sinned and fall under the judgment of God. Left to ourselves, we will spend an eternity in a real place called hell punished for our sin. But God, because of his great mercy and love, sent to us Jesus. This Jesus, this God-man, this truly God, truly man, lived a perfect life. He did what you and I could not do. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He was obedient to his Father perfectly. 
He fulfilled it in every way, and we could not do this. Yet this Jesus was falsely accused. He was condemned. He was hung on a cross to die as a common criminal. But that is not even the worst of it. As he hung on the cross, the scriptures say Jesus took upon himself the punishment for our sin. The wrath of God was placed on the Son. He experienced hell on behalf of those who did not deserve mercy. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he rules and he reigns today, alive and well. And one day he will return. And when he returns, he will not return as a mild carpenter. He will return as a righteous judge, an almighty king. This Jesus has called you to follow him. What does this mean, right? He calls you to turn from your sin in repentance, to literally do a 180-degree turn and follow hard after him. He calls you to trust in him with the entirety of your life and to treasure him above all else. This is not a simple, easy prayer that you can recite as a get-out-of-hell-free card. This is not merely believing that these things are true. It's much more than that. His forgiveness is free. You cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough. But on the other hand, his forgiveness is costly. He gave everything, dying an atoning death for your sin that he did not deserve so that you could live eternally with the Lord, something that you, that I, certainly do not deserve. He calls us to repent and to believe. And in Mark 8, Jesus likens this to dying to yourself, saying you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. He then instructs us to take up our cross and to follow him. This is not an easy, comfortable life. When we turn to Christ in repentance and faith and trust and treasure him, we are saying, you are my Lord. I am willing to take up an instrument of death, dying to myself and following you despite the cost. This is investing the entirety of your life in the only one who is worth it. He has called us to follow him in this way. And so for some of you, for some of you perhaps, he has called you to follow him where the gospel has not been heard, where people do not know Christ and have not heard of the good news. As Christians, we should always be ready and willing to go wherever he calls us. I know I've told this story before, but um, I think it was impactful for me. A few years ago, um, I was at dinner for one of our church's missionaries, not Crossway, uh, prior. Um, The church we were going to at the time was actively supportive in missions, and it was a good turnout. Uh, Everybody was eager to hear about what was happening in the foreign country. Um, And the country was poor and uh, difficult, hard, hot, uh, very hostile to Christianity. And one of the church members turns to me and says, man, I am glad they are serving there, so I don't have to. And I, I didn't even know what to say or how to respond as a Christian, this is not how we should be thinking. We aren't uh, called to fall on a grenade for others, or we aren't saying they are falling on a grenade for us, so we don't have to sacrificially serve. They are sacrificially serving God where he has called them, just like 
all of you should be sacrificially serving God where he has called you, right? This is, this is not um, about who is sacrificing more, but a, a mindset, and I should be sacrificially living to the Lord that has called me out of my sin and out of my death and had raised me to life with him. And she said that audibly. I think most people in the room were thinking it, probably including myself. And um, I think that is the mindset that has to change. These missionaries are not biting the bullet for us. They are sacrificially obeying the commands of our Lord. And we want to be careful, right? Not everyone is called to go. Sometimes there are those who are willing to go and can't. And, and, and God simply shuts the door. And that can be heartbreaking. This is not uh, what God had planned, at least at that time. And it's not a poor reflection on, uh, on the individual. It is simply what God had ordained. Uh, but for many of us, we are not even l- letting our minds wander there. And I want to encourage us to think through what we see in Acts 13. We see a church gathered together, praying, sending, and we see faithful men going to take the gospel to where it had not been heard. We are not studying through missions right now because we especially like it or because we are holding missionaries up on a pedestal. Um, we look at missionaries and we see flawed men and women from all walks of life that are uh, called to spread the gospel to all peoples. So this morning, as we read this, I want you to think through, is this true of you? Have you wrestled with the Lord on that? There are more ways than ever for now uh, that, that you can go. Over the last 150 years, the SBC has a long uh, tradition or a long history of sending, um, I would say, kind of classical missionaries, people to go and plant churches around the world. Um, The IMB is working for the churches of the Southern Baptist Conventions. Churches send missionaries. That's how it has always been. That's how it is with us. Churches send missionaries, and the IMB works for us to help us uh, pool together resources so churches can send those missionaries and to help give them specialized uh, training and language and culture and those sorts of things. Um, and perhaps this is where God is calling you, full-time uh, field work uh, in frontier missions. But there's other ways to go. In addition, the last few years, the IMB has implemented a program to send students and professionals and retirees overseas to partner with career missionaries in planting churches. Um, This program has targeted a few cities and enables people to use their skills um, in the workplace while serving the church in other countries. And perhaps that is where God is calling you. Pray about these things. Wrestle through the text, wrestle with the Lord about these things. Think about ways in which you might go. This is a wide application. Um, Looking at it, maybe I would say a little bit more narrow focused and recognize that there are other ways to go. Perhaps God is leading you on a short-term mission trip to support one of our missionaries. Uh, There are many avenues and outlets for this at Crossway. Um, earlier this year, we got to hear reports from Rick and Randy as they went to Toronto to serve the Tamil people group. That is cult- crossing a cultural barrier and an international border for the sake of bringing God's word to others. Uh, this coming year, obviously you know we will be headed to China and um, it is our prayer and honestly, it is our expectation that we will see some of you over there with us. 
we want to engage in international missions um, and help missionaries uh, the, as, as they need uh, help spreading the gospel to these, to these nations. In the future, we will be um, likely seeing June and Ramon again in the Philippines. There are several ways which you can go, uh, even without being called to a career missions position. Think about how God may be stirring in you and working in your life to go. Lottie Moon, who our missions offering is named after, was a 19th century missionary in China. She spent her life spreading the gospel among a people who had not heard the good news of Jesus. And without his message of forgiveness and deliverance, they were on their way to a Christless eternity in hell. She went to them because she had compassion on lost souls, because she desired to see God glorified among all peoples, and because she believed that her life was not her own but was purchased by the blood of Christ. And therefore, it did not belong to her, but to him. As she wrote to the churches and states, she urged men and women to participate in missions, to give to missions, to send missionaries. She wrote the following. How many there are among us, alas, alas, who imagine that because Jesus paid it all, they need not pay anything forgetting that the prime object of their salvation was that they should follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ in bringing back a lost world to God and so aid in bringing the answer to the petition our Lord taught his disciples, thy kingdom come. Should we not press it home upon our consciences that the sole object of our conversion was not the salvation of our own souls, but that we might become co-workers with our Lord and Master, in the conversion of the world. And she was spot on. Our calling and commission as God's people is to take God's good news to the ends of the earth, making disciples and teaching them all Christ has commanded and baptizing them into the church. In Acts 13, we see a church sending and praying and going for the sake of gospel advance to those who have not heard the good news. Pray. Send and go. I'm praying this is the heartbeat of our church for years to come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good things that you have set before us in your word. Father, we thank you for the faithful, biblical example you have given to us here in Acts 13. Lord, as we reflect upon your word, I ask you by your spirit to reveal to us areas where we can and should repent of sin, where we can turn to follow in obedience, and like the church at Antioch, we can be known as a body of Christ who prays, who sins, and who go to the nations to proclaim the gospel of Christ. I pray for those gathered here that know you, that their burning desire would be to make your glory known among all peoples. Help us now as we conclude our time together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.